You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. All right, good morning, Midtown. Good to see everyone this morning. Great to see some new faces. You guys enjoying each other's company. My name is Justin Christopher. I'm the executive pastor here. So we'd love to meet you after service if we've not met yet. I want to give a couple uh, special welcomes. want to welcome any visitors. If you are here for the first time, we're really glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. Would love it if you would fill out that connection card just so we can get back in touch with you, tell you more about our church, or even tell you more about other good churches in Austin if Midtown's not the the place for you. Also, especially want to welcome anyone who might be exploring their faith right now that maybe is returning to church for the first time or or exploring faith in, in Jesus for the first time. So we especially want to welcome you and hope that you find this to be a safe place for you to continue your exploration. Um, then I have a couple family announcements. want to welcome all the students back from the retreat. How many students went to the fall retreat? You can <laughs> yell, too. Yeah, yeah. So heard it was awesome. Uh, good to see you guys. Can't wait to hear more. Uh, I want to talk to the staff this week and hopefully with some of you guys as well. Um, and also want to give a special happy news and sad news to Aiden. This is Aiden's last Sunday with us before he goes overseas. So let's give Aiden a hand and hope that you'll make time to, to wish him well. And if you're not on his email list where you can get prayer requests and pray for him as he goes to do Bible translation in Papua New Guinea, um, you should get on his list. So catch him afterward and say, hey, I want to be praying for you and be a part of this as well. Uh, last little family thing I'll say is I do agree with Cameron and Kristen that our MCs are super important, great place for you to find community. And so hope that you would also take that flyer and indicate some interest. We'll help get you connected. That's a weird sound in the back. Can you all hear that, or is that just me? All right. I'll handle the new AC. We can do it. So we are actually walking through the uh, book of Daniel. This is our second week in the book of Daniel. And just to give a little context again for Daniel, is this is a period in the Bible called the period of captivity. And so there was about a 70-year period where the Israelites were taken captive by this nation, Babylon, that was kind of the ruling nation over the bulk of the world at that time. And there's a 70-year period, and Daniel was among the first ones to get taken in, and he was part of this school. He and a couple of the other Israelites were taken in to be part of the school and serve as counselors and servants to the king. And so that's kind of the, the history of it. And, and he would have known that Jeremiah the prophet, this is what Jake talked about some last week, Jeremiah the prophet had given them really clear instructions about this exile. One, he prophesied that it would happen, like you guys are going to be stuck in this foreign land for 70 years. But then he also wrote them a letter, and you can find it in Jeremiah 29. And in Jeremiah 29, one of the things that, that Jeremiah writes to the people is, as you're, as you're captive, where God has you captive, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to seek the best for the city, that you're to integrate. You're not supposed to run. You're not supposed to isolate. But over these 70 years, integrate yourselves among these people and actually choose to be a blessing. In fact, our verse of the week that we had last week was from uh, Jeremiah 29, uh, verse 7 which says, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And so what we get in the book of Daniel, Daniel being very familiar with Jeremiah, you're actually going to find later as we go further in Daniel, he's reading the book of Jeremiah. And so he is actually saying, now how do I do this? Here's what Jeremiah said, we're going to be captive, so now how do I, as a captive, kind of like a slave underneath the king, how can I do this in a way that I can stay faithful to God yet also be a witness, be a light, make a difference where God has has put me and actually be a blessing to this kingdom of Babylon. 
And so we've, we've kind of defined the series, the series title, we're calling it Living Faithfully While Loving Well. Uh, kind of a subtitle or what you might, might say we're trying to get at is how do we remain faithful to God while engaging in a culture that's often opposed to Him and His ways? And we're not like physically um, displaced or physically captive, right? Like we, we're free in the United States, so we're not physically like them. But in another way, uh, like Daniel being captive to another nation, in another way, we really are. Like spiritually speaking, we're the minority and we're in a culture that in some cases opposes some of the things that we believe and some of the ways that we behave and at the very least is kind of apathetic to what we believe or what we, how we behave. And so we're trying to, through this series, say, let's look at Daniel and see the way that he was able to both remain faithful to God, committed, yet also love the people that God had placed him with. And that's a tension that I think that we all need to wrestle with because any of us, when we decide that we're actually going to follow Jesus and try to live out his ways, we're going to constantly be in conflict with the rest of the world. Have you experienced that before? Not like in a fight conflict, but an intention usually over just kind of ideologies and ways that people believe and ways that people behave. Like students, can you ever feel it? You ever feel it like in a class? Like you're in a class and there's kind of a different worldview that's being pressed down upon you. And you're thinking, well, this doesn't jive with what I believe and I feel like I'm the minority here. Or maybe you just moved into a dorm and it's your first time to live with like 100 college students like in your floor and you real quickly realize like, oh wow, these people believe differently and behave differently than I do. And it causes like a tension, like how am I supposed to walk this out? Or you non-students, I mean, it's the same thing for you in your workplace, right? You're in your workplace, in your environment, and you're surrounded by people, many of which who don't share your same views. And so how can you live faithful to God in those places, yet also love people well? And that's the tension that we have to face. And the very fact of it is that we are very different. So the, the fact that you're here this morning means that you're among 4% of the people. 4% of Central Austinites worship on a Sunday. And so, yes, you're, you're a minority. You are in exile already. You're in a minority of 4%. Or the fact that we would actually look at this ancient book of Daniel and that most of us here believe that this is the authority, uh, this is the authority written word of God and that we look to it to study and for practice, I mean, that puts you in a huge majority, a minority, right? Like, we actually believe this. And you're going to come across most of your friends and people don't believe that. Or take, like, your views on God and prayer, that you really believe that God is active, that there's a real God, and that your prayers are effectual, that you can talk to God, and he does things in the world because you pray. Most of our culture doesn't believe that. We're, we're exiles among our people. Or take your views on relationships and sexuality and marriage. Very counterculture to the people that we live among. Uh, you parents, I'm sure you run into it all the time as you're raising your kids and you're taking them to schools and you're mixing and mingling with parents who have completely different philosophies on how they would raise their kids and what they can do and can't do, what they can view and can't view. Like this is the culture that we live in and so we're trying to wrestle as we walk through the book of Daniel with with how do we faithful to God and what he's called us to do, but how do we still love the people around us and engage the culture and love them well? And would you agree that it's hard? Give me some nods. Like, it's hard. It's hard to know how to do that sometimes, right? And it's made especially hard by what I, I had a hard time trying to word this today. I think it's made especially hard because there's two kind of prominent lies that I think that are out there or beliefs that, that kind of get pressed down on us and, and we're tempted to kind of buy into them. And I'll try to explain them as best I can, but I, the first one I say 
is that it's unloving to tell someone that you disagree with what they believe in or what they, what they do. Like sometimes we're just, we're, that's, it's been pressed down upon us that if we're to be in a relationship with someone and we say that we believe something differently or we behave in a different way, that that's then unloving. Or real similarly, there's the idea that you cannot be in a, a loving and respectful relationship with someone who, do, who you disagree with. And there's something kind of in our culture that kind of puts that down on us and presses down and makes us think that then maybe that's true. Maybe I'm being unloving. How can I be loving and faithful? And how can I have a, a, a friendship, a true loving and respectful friendship with someone who believes differently than I do? And what we're trying to say is that you can and one of the things that makes me sad if we buy into those lies, uh, one, is it means that we're not going to have very real conversations, right? Like, what if really all you did was associate with people who believed and thought exactly like you do? You're not having very authentic conversations because we need to have the conversations where we can disagree with one another. And maybe what worries me most about it is it means that we're not going to have friendships with people that are different from us. And this is not what God would have us do. Like, haven't we seen enough of that? Like, if you kind of isolate yourselves and you just have friends that are just like you and you're not having conversations with other people because you feel like you're going to become unloving or you can't remain faithful to God, you're going to have a very narrow group of friends, right? And then you're going to vilify the other side like we see so much in our culture already. And one of the things that happens, I believe, as believers, if we kind of get stuck in these lies is we kind of lean one of two ways. So we think, well, I have to be completely silent so as to maintain my relationships to love the people that are around me. And so we just kind of take the posture of silence. That's probably the majority of us. That's probably where I, where I tend to uh, lean and fall and fail. But there's another side too that then we think, well, if I got to speak the truth, then I got to speak the truth and, it, and it's ultimately going to offend someone and then it's going to break our relationship. And so we think that there's like these two ways to go, right? Silent and keep relationships, be vocal about my faith, and then relationships are going to be destroyed because I'm going to offend someone. And so what we want to talk about today is there really is a third way. We're going to learn from Daniel that there's a way that you can speak both grace and truth. You can model things in such a way that you can speak the truth to your friends, people who have different views from you, but honor and love and respect them as they are. Do you think that we can do that? Uh, we're going to see a great example from Daniel and hope that it helps encourage us to do the same in our lives. Let me pray for us. God, we do ask that uh, this reading of your word here will give us instruction in how to, like, like we're saying here, be faithful to you and love other people well. Uh, that's what we want to do as exiles in our culture. And so let just the, the meditation uh, of our hearts as we wrestle in the scripture together show us how to do both and to find this third way of grace and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So the story is really long. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 2, so we're not going to read like every verse. So I'm going to do like kind of a few verses, then we'll summarize, and there's really four scenes that we're going to look at. And then at the end, we'll try to make some application from uh, the way that Daniel spoke with this guy, Nebuchadnezzar. So we'll start in Daniel uh, 2, verse 1. This is the first scene. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled. He could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. And so for some reason, Daniel wasn't included in this invitation, but Daniel was part of these, these were like his classmates that were also being brought to the king to say, tell me what my dream was. And this was actually really unique. What Nebuchadnezzar did, because these were so troubling to him and he wanted to understand what they meant, 
He actually did something even worse. He said, I don't want you just to interpret my dream. I want you to tell me what my dream was. And so the, the, these wise men are like, uh, that's pretty hard to do. Can, can you just tell us your dream and we'll interpret it? And he says, nope, you're just trying to buy time. You're wasting time. I want you to both tell me what my dream was and interpret it. And rightly, then the, the astrologers and the, the wise men say, well, well, no man can do that. And then they add to it by saying, well, Nebuchadnezzar, in fact, no one's ever asked such a harsh thing. That's something you don't want to say to a king that's really volatile and hasn't been sleeping because of his dreams. Because what he says then is, okay, well, all of you guys are going to die today. You don't even get a chance to interpret the dream because you can't come back with it. You're all going to die. And so he orders the execution of all of these wise men, which will also include, even though he wasn't present for that first conversation, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all of his classmates were going to be executed. And so that's how scene one comes to a close. A king that's disturbed by dreams gets very angry, gives them an impossible task of not just interpreting the dream, but telling what the dream was. And then the execution has been ordered for all of them. In scene two, we pick up in verse 14. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom intact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the, uh, into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream. So in scene two, we've got this guy, Arioch, that's the commander that's going to start pulling these people together for this execution. And Daniel, it says, and we'll come back to this at the end, but with wisdom intact, he speaks to this commander with kindness, with wisdom and appropriateness. Ask him a question. Ask what he needs to do. And then you're going to see what happens. Is then he says, well, let me gather the time to actually interpret it myself. And he goes to the king and he gets granted this permission. And the first thing he does once he's granted the permission, he runs back to his brother, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he says, hey, guys, here's the situation. I need your help and we need to pray. And so he commissions them to pray through the night. While he goes away for the night, God reveals to him the dream and its interpretation. And so he goes back to the king, which is where we pick up in the scene three. In scene three now, he's back before the king. Verse 26, the king asked Daniel, who's also called uh, Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what you saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain the king to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mystery. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Amazing. He's standing here before the king, the king that had just ordered his execution, a polytheistic king. In the next chapter, we're going to find that he's, I don't know even what you would call this kind of theistic. He, he actually tells people they need to worship him. <laughs> so he's a, a worship me guy. But here he is with this king. And he's right away telling him that there is a God. There's a God who knows the future and a God who can interpret your dreams. Pretty bold speaking before him, right? But as he then goes on to explain what the dream is, you're going to see how Nebuchadnezzar responds. So here was a dream. The dream was that uh, he pictured a huge statue. And in this huge statue, the head was of gold. And then the, the breast and the chest and the arms were silver. The, the thighs or the torso and the thighs were of bronze. And then the feet and the legs were of, of iron. And the very bottom of the feet were actually mixed with iron and clay. So this is this vision that he had that had been keeping up. Like, what does this deal with the statue and these all different elements to the statue? And so Daniel actually says, here's what you dreamed. So Nebuchadnezzar's got to be blown away already, right? 
But then he says, here's what it means. This is where Daniel gets very bold, and we'll look at it in a moment. He says that the gold that you see in your dream, that's your kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar, you have the finest kingdom. It's the finest material. You're the, you're the best ruler. But your kingdom is going to come to an end because the silver is another kingdom that's going to come and then rule over you and dominate your nation. So pretty much right away, he's telling the king, like, your time is near. Like, your kingdom's not going to last forever. And then after this kingdom, there's going to be a third kingdom that comes and rules. And then there's going to be a fourth kingdom that comes and rules over that. And there's another part to his dream. In his dream, he said, Nebuchadnezzar, what you saw was you saw a rock that kind of came out from nowhere. It says it wasn't made by human hands, but this rock came out and it smashed the feet of the statue and the statue completely crumbled. And then this little rock became an entire mountain. So he says, here's what that means. That means that ultimately this rock that you saw was actually made by God and God's going to destroy all the kingdoms of the earth and his kingdom's going to last forever. That's the interpretation to your dream. Pretty bold, right? Now, uh, just as a side note, um, this is kind of proven historically, so this is also kind of a prophetic dream. Remember what he said to to, uh, Nebuchadnezzar at the very start was, God has spoken to you. I love it too that he assumes among his friend that God's actually speaking to his friend. He says, yeah, God is trying to reach out to you, my friend. And then we know kind of historically, prophetically, what this was, what it was Babylon, and the next, the next uh, empire was the Persians, and the Medes and Persians. After that would have been the Greeks, and after that would have been the Romans, which was then at the birth of Jesus, when he ushers in a new kingdom. So this is both prophetic uh, for us as well. But in the context of the dream, he's telling him basically, like, your time has come to an end. It's going to come to an end. Pretty bold, Right? We'll get back to talking more about some of the specific things that he said, but let's move on to scene four. In scene four, in verse 46, then Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate prostrate, uh, before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering of incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods, the Lord, the king, the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the, over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Amazing, right? He speaks this truth in love. He speaks both grace and truth. And how does Nebuchadnezzar respond? He responds with worship. Now, we're going to see in the next chapter that this worship, this repentance that we see is short-lived, but you see that God is actually pursuing him and pursuing him, and we'll, we'll continue as we walk through the book of Daniel to see how God does that. But what happened? He was not only was the relationship not destroyed, the relationship was benefited. He promoted him, he promoted his friends, and he got greater honor. So is it possible, is it possible for us, like Daniel, to speak truth to someone and maintain a relationship, and not only maintain a relationship, but actually see a relationship grow? Do we have to fall, fall prey to the lie that if we're to speak truth, it's going to ruin a relationship, or that I just need to be silent so that I can maintain a relationship? We don't, and Daniel didn't. He found a way to both be faithful to God, true with his interpretation, true with who God was, but also was able to uh, maintain the relationship to live faithfully and love well. 
So let's look at a few, few verses that I think really give the key as to how he was able to do so. These are in verses uh, 17 through 19. The first thing that Daniel did was that he loved. He loved the people that God had put him around. It says that Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Those were their Babylonian names, so it's still Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or vice versa. Those are the same three guys. Uh, he urged them to plead for mercy from God from heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. You see it? He and his friends and the rest of the wise men. When this news came about the execution, Daniel wasn't first just thinking about himself. His mind, his heart went instantly to the people whom he loved. He went to his friends and it went to his classmates and he thought, we need to do something about this for the sake of these people. Now, you gotta remember, these weren't the people, aside from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these weren't classmates that believed like he did. They were from other nations and from Babylon that had many different views on God. Yet his love for them and his concern for them was what drove him to want to take action to do something. And love is really where we start. We have a heart of compassion for our friends. We care more about the friends and our relationship with them than we do anything else. And so it started with him loving his friends. Second thing that you see was that he had brothers and sisters. Again, go back to the same verses, but we'll highlight a different part of it. Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends. I love this kind of quote, like explain the matter. I think that he went back with his friends and he said, hey guys, here's what the king has issued. Here's what's happening. And I think that they probably had a great conversation about their God and how their God would have them respond and what are we supposed to do and how do we look at this circumstance in a godly way and how would God have us respond? Like if we want to be able to walk this great fine line of being faithful to God and loving our culture well, one of the things that we need is we need brothers and sisters to come alongside of us and help us. We need to go to them with the conversations of the difficult places where maybe we failed in one way or the other. Maybe we've been silent or maybe we've been offensive and we come back to our brothers and say, hey, I had this circumstance in my life. Can you guys help me figure out how I should respond? How does God view this? And what are some ways that I can do things differently? Like that's the brotherhood that he had and immediately, see this is his first response. Here's the news, I've gotta go tell my brothers and then we gotta get them committed to pray. I can't go into the circumstances because it would break some confidence, but just this last week I had, or two weeks ago, was asked to uh, kind of intervene and help in a, in a situation that was way out of my comfort zone, something I'd never been asked to do before. And so I immediately called three older, wiser pastor friends and said, hey, what would you guys do? Have you ever experienced a situation like this? And if so, how did you handle it? Because I know I'm completely out of my league in what to do. We've gotta have those kind of brothers that we can go to to say, hey, help me be faithful to the truth, yet love the people that I'm serving well. In addition to that, I also have a prayer list of about 100 friends. <laughs> and so I, I emailed my 100 friends and said, hey, here's the situation, please pray for me. And it's real fun, actually, when I was working on this message uh, in the middle of the week prior, like right as I'm writing this part, like thinking about this story, one of my friends that was part of that 100 texted back and said, hey, how did it go? I've been praying for you. Like that's the kind of brothers that we need. That's why we have our huddles and our MCs for us to get involved in community and have people that we're sharing life with and that when we're wrestling with this difficulty of how to live faithfully and love well, our brothers, our sisters, they help us do that. The third thing that we see was that he prayed. 
says that Daniel returned to his house, explained the matter to his friends, and he urged them to plead for mercy from God of heaven. Daniel went to God for help. Like when things are too difficult, when you don't know how to walk the line well, you don't know how to love well, or maybe you're wrestling with not being faithful, one of the things you have to do is you have to go to God in prayer. And one of the things you're going to love about Daniel as we keep walking through the book of Daniel is Daniel is very committed to prayer. He's going to get in trouble later because he had this three times a day where he would be praying. We've got another time where he's praying and he hears from God and he actually records one of the longest prayers in the Old Testament. Daniel was a prayer. He knew that for this to happen, he needed God to come through. And I just wonder to what level do we have that desperation when we're thinking about trying to live faithful to God and still love our friends? Are we coming to God regularly saying, God, help me do this? Are we coming to God regularly praying on behalf of our friends that God will give us an opportunity to love them and speak truth to them? Are we asking for God to give us wisdom to know what to say because we're confused and we don't really know what to say? All of those are things that God answers as we commit ourselves to prayer. And not only to prayer personally, but I love this, that it was corporate prayer, that they prayed together. They sought God together. And this is one of the things that I love about Paul. Like you would think, like probably the guy who is the master of this would be the Apostle Paul, right? Does he have any struggles like trying to be faithful and loving at the same time? He did. That's why in so many of his letters, he would actually write to the people that he's writing and saying, hey, pray for me that I could proclaim things clearly and pray for me that, that the people would, would open their hearts. Listen to what he says in Colossians 4. He's writing to Colossians and he says, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. You see both sides of the prayer? He's praying like, join me in prayer that God would open doors among the people that I'm trying to share the gospel with. But equally pray for me because I need wisdom in how to present the gospel clearly. Or I like the way that he wrote it in Romans. He said to the Romans, these people that he'd never even met, hundreds of miles away from him, and he writes and he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Like Paul, like Daniel, was convinced that our prayers are effectual, that God works through our prayers, and we need to get our brothers praying for us. And so if you've got people in your life where you're trying to wrestle with his balance of how to live faithfully, but how to love people well, looking for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus with your friends, what you need is to be praying for them, and not just that, you need others to be praying with you for your friends, and for you to have the wisdom to know what to do, just like Daniel's friends were praying for him. I think of Aiden, and I think this is effectual, like our prayers for him as he goes away, they work. And so get on his email list so that you can be praying uh, for him from far away as well. The last thing is the, the part that I really wanted to spend most of the time on is that's what Daniel actually says with his words. So all these things kind of led up to it, right? He loved people. He had brothers that were committed to help him love people. He was praying and had people praying for him to love people well and be faithful to the truth. But then it came time for him to open his mouth, right? He actually had to say something. And what was it that he said? And how was he able to do it in such a way that didn't offend the very person that could have killed him at any moment and had already ordered his execution? Well, we get a glimpse of it in Daniel 2.14 when it says that he spoke to the commander. This wasn't to Nebuchadnezzar, but he spoke to the commander with wisdom and tact. Tact is, is uh, defined by Webster's as a sense of what to say in order to maintain good relations 
and avoid offense. I like the way that's worded because I think those two things are so important. As we're trying to walk this line of grace and truth, one of the most important things that we can do is remember what we want most is a relationship. Because God calls us to love all people. And so the thing that people need to know if they're going to be able to hear truth from us is first that they're going to be loved no matter what. So I would even say that today. If there's some of you here that are like exploring your faith, like, like we would love for you to follow Jesus with us. But if you choose not to or you're not ready, like we still want you to be part of our community and that's not going to break our friendship. We want to continue to be loving and in relationship with people from all different backgrounds. And our relationship with you is more important. And that's one of the things we have to have people feel secure in. But then the other thing we have to do is we have to avoid offense. Like some of the times, one of the things that, that help us walk with grace and truth is when we present our truth, that we're presenting the truth that the other people have asked to hear. Like I love it that he actually starts just with this dream. Now, Daniel could have said many other things. He could have said, here's a whole theology of our Jewish God. But he starts with what Nebuchadnezzar asked, like I want an interpretation. So he says, great, I'm just going to be faithful to give you that interpretation and answer this question for you. He starts where people are, and one of the things that we can do as we try to walk grace and truth is we, we don't need to go beyond our means when we're with somebody, that we're answering questions in step with wherever they are in their journey. I love the way that Paul modeled this. You can read about it in Acts 17. Uh, he's in Athens, and so he's seeing all these different gods and walking through the land, and you can tell these people have many gods that they worship. And when he kind of gets his ch chance to speak to them, he addresses them. He doesn't say, you're a bunch of idolaters. <laughs> no. What he does is he says, like, you guys had this one God that's, that's, that's named the unknown God. I want to talk to you about him. And I can tell that you're very religious people. So let's talk about that. He compliments them in the fact that they were seeking some sort of God and takes, starts with where they are. I found this to be particularly helpful. I was reading an article about a year ago, and I tried to use this with uh, some of my friends. And the basic idea is that you just want to start with where you find agreement with somebody. So if you hear someone say something... Just a real easy transition would say, you know, that sounds a lot like something that Jesus taught. That sounds like a lot like something that I read this last week. Uh, one of my neighbors had kind of writes sometimes these certain blogs, and so I follow him, and he wrote a blog kind of like on the meaningless of, meaninglessness of pursuing just money and gain. And I read his blog, and I, I sent him a note that same day. and was like, hey, this really reminds me of a book of Ecclesiastes that, that I really enjoy. It's my favorite book in the Bible. And about an hour later, he texted me back, and he's like, you're right, that sounds just like Ecclesiastes. But it was saying, hey, Joe, like, I'm starting with where you are, and I'm taking something that you're already expressing, and then, then let's talk about it from that standpoint. Daniel didn't go beyond his means, but he answered the question with wisdom and tact. He was able to keep the relationship and avoid offense. And maybe most importantly was that he treated the king with honor and respect. In verse 36, we'll, we'll read this. This was, the, uh, this was the dream, and now we'll give interpret it to, uh, we'll interpret it for the king. Listen to the way that he honors him. Your majesty, you're the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power, might and glory are in your hands, and he's placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. So his first thing when he's interpreting the dream is to honor him. And you'll see throughout, if we were to read the whole thing, multiple times he's, he's calling in your majesty, you're the king. He recognizes that God's the ultimate authority, like that's going to come through in the interpretation of the dream, but even as he recognizes God is the ultimate authority, he recognizes that God has placed 
Nebuchadnezzar in authority at this time. And he respects that and he honors that. He honors him as his king and as his leader. And that's so important when we, when we want to walk this line, right? We want to be faithful to God but also love others well. One of the best things that we can do is always treat people with dignity and respect. Treating them as someone who's been created in the image of God and someone who's completely free to disagree with you or believe whatever they want to believe. But if we can present our truth in a way that shows there's honor and respect and dignity of anyone else to disagree with us, we'll be able to walk that line of grace and truth more clearly. I think one of the parallel books in the New Testament that might be fun to read, like as we're going through Daniel, maybe read 1 Peter. In fact, 1 Peter, when it starts off, he says he's addressing these 12 tribes that have been scattered throughout all of Asia. And so these were these faithful new believers that had been scattered everywhere, and Peter's writing them, and he uses the same words. He calls them aliens and strangers multiple times throughout 1 Peter. He's saying, you guys have been scattered about, and you're on all these different lands with people who don't believe like you do. And he actually is addressing, too, like, how do you honor kings and that, the people that have authority over you throughout the book? But in verse, uh, chapter 3, I love the way he says it here. And think, Daniel, think about our theme, being faithful and loving well. He says, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But if you should suffer for what's right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. You see it? He says, set apart Christ as Lord. Revere Christ. So he's saying, live faithful. But now when it comes time for you to open your mouth when someone asks you to interpret a dream or asks you for what your hope is, do so with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. Like this is the way that we're to respect people and if we can treat people like that, we're able to walk that line of, of grace and truth. Everyone has a chance to respond how they wish. Last thing I'll say on grace and truth is what you see at the end of his interpretation. It's in verse 44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush the kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron and bronze and clay and silver and gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. This dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Pretty strong ending, right? When you're talking to this Babylonian king who believes in many gods to tell him that there's one God in heaven, and this God knows the future, and this God's going to have a kingdom that's going to destroy all of the kingdoms, it's pretty harsh. It'd be like the equivalent of if you walked up to your friends and you said something like, uh, you're going to die and lose everything that you lived for. Uh, there's only one God. God knows who you are, and he's speaking to you. This is the truth, and there is no other truth. See ya. Like, right? <laughs> like, that's, that's what he said. Like, he's, he's saying, like, even closes this way. Like, this is true. This is the interpretation of it. Here's the truth. Your kingdom's not going to last forever. God's kingdom is bigger than your kingdom. Saying this to a polytheistic, worship me, king, and his response, we see, of course, was to humble himself for a time, to honor God as God, and to raise up Daniel and his friends 
and even a greater position of authority. Their relationship wasn't broken. They spoke with grace and truth, and the relationship was strengthened because of that. This is what we're trying to walk through as we look through the book of Daniel. How can we do this in a way that is both faithful to God in our culture, but loving the people that God has placed us around well? It's really a false narrative to believe that, that you can't be loving and respectful of people that are different from you. We don't want to err on the side of silence where we say, well, I have to be silent to maintain relationships, nor do we want to err on the side of being offensive when we speak. But we want to walk with grace and truth. Now, how many would say that's very hard? <laughs> like, those are four great ideas. That's neat to see that through Daniel, but man, how, how can I do it? The truth is that we can't. That, that, that we're always going to fail in many ways. I, I'm certain that I have even with the words that I shared today. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I have not done a good job of being completely faithful to both grace and truth. And we don't need to put that burden upon ourselves to walk this line perfectly because we can't. There's only one person who has. Of course, it's Jesus. When John is actually describing Jesus coming to earth in John 1.14, he says it this way. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So he came as an exile to live among us. We've seen the glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. If we have any hope of continuing to walk the line of grace and truth, it has to come back to being filled with Jesus, that he's the one that can help us grow. He's the one that we need to even attempt to do this at all. And so when we close in communion, what we want to remember is even as we strive to be faithful and be loving, that Jesus did that perfectly. So we don't have to. So when we come to communion, I'd encourage you as you take during these last couple songs, you can come to the front or you can go to the back, just to reflect on your need for Jesus in you to be the one to enable you to walk with grace and truth, to live faithfully and to love others well. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you that you are grace and truth. We can't do it. In our culture, we need you. And so we ask, God, even as we worship, that we would reflect and call out and cry out to you to be the one who can make us this kind of people that can be faithful and love others well. Thank you for the example that we see in Daniel. Uh, we worship you now for the perfect one that we see in Jesus, full of grace and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.